<laughs> mm. I was going to do a much more full-throated kind of shout-out of folks, but I had taken the last bite of this lunch I was eating. Because if you know anything about Mr. Sensational Gino Vega, you know that Mr. Sensational Gino Vega has been known to eat lunch. I was eating the last bite of that lunch just as I was about to hit record. And just as I was about to say, folks, because I can't even do it now. Um, folks, I intended more like that. But uh, right as I started to do that, I had just like the, the it, it wasn't even like something was in my throat. It was like the phantom memory of having something that was in my throat arose. And I was unable to let out a true full-throated full oaks. Instead, you just got kind of a... <laughs> you got the um, Genichi Rotenru of folks. Genichi Rotenru. Um, legendary professional wrestler wrestling out of Japan. He wrestled for all Japan. He wrestled for pro wrestling Noah. He had his own um, promotion at one time. Was it... SWS, um, but his he he's one of these wrestlers. He's in the vein of a Terry Funk, or in certain ways maybe a Chris Jericho. Wrestlers who um, were adept at reinventing themselves mid career. So Tenru, you know, was a typical young up and coming guy in the Japanese system in his younger years. As he got older, he reinvented himself as this grumpy, no-nonsense, middle-aged guy that just, like, beat the crap out of all the younger people on the roster. And um, I think at one point he had a finishing move called, like, the 46-year-old or something. It was something to do with his age at the time, and it was somewhere in middle age like that. Uh, If it was 46, I'm still younger than the name of that move, so praise God for that. But um, Tenru, at some point in his career, had his larynx crushed. And so his voice sounded like this. It still sounds like this to this day. There's a few... I don't know of that happening to any American-based or North American-based wrestlers, but there's a few Japanese wrestlers that have the larynx issue. Um, Tomiaka, Tom, Tomoaki Hanma, easy for me to say. Um, Deathmatch wrestler out of Big Japan Pro Wrestling who eventually transitioned into more of a mid-card comedy act in New Japan Pro Wrestling. Um, he also has the voice like this. And I believe it's from the lyrics issue. Um, probably doesn't help that I think those guys all chain smoke, too. But the point of this digression is that I feel like I did a bit of a tenru with my... <coughs> Excuse me. Speaking of smoking, you know, there was a time where... Mr. Sensational Gino Vegas smoked cigarettes. Um, it was the 1990s, and pretty much anyone who's everyone who's anyone smoked cigarettes at that time. Um, I myself started smoking because uh, I was a literary individual when I was younger. We might talk about that in a moment. 
but I, I, I was bookish and I wanted to be a writer and I, I liked the image of writerly people. And in my junior year English class, the teacher had a had pictures of a bunch of famous American authors up in the class. You got your John Steinbeck's, your Ernest Hemingway's, <clears throat> some other people of that ilk, and at least 75% of them were smoking in their pictures. So I decided that smoking must be where it's at. And I remember a friend of mine, a fellow named Matt, who I was out of contact with for many years after high school, but we've recently got back into contact uh, over the last few years. But in any case, he and I were like, you know, smoking seems like the coolest thing ever, but they also say that it's very addictive and bad for you. But what we'll do, we should start doing it, but just do it to be cool and just smoke like one a week, just to be seen doing it. Because that was the other thing. In those days, um, at a public high school in, in California, no less, you could still essentially smoke at school as a student. Uh, where I went to high school, Montgomery High School, there was an area called The Bridge. And The Bridge was this kind of area near the near the school parking lot where a bridge went over a creek. And if you hung out over there, you were technically not on school property, so the school theoretically could not stop you from consuming cigarettes. So all the cool kids hung out at The Bridge and smoked cigarettes. So between seeing the riders with the cigarettes, seeing the kids at The Bridge, my friend Matt and I decided to start smoking. And needless to say, it went well beyond one a week. Um, I was never like, a, just because it's, I, I, you know, I lived at home at this time. I was a high school student. There's no way I could have been like an all day, every day chain smoking John Wayne type. Um, but I smoked a ton when I was at school, humorously enough. And then uh, me and my friends at that point figured out we could hang out super late at night at Denny's, um, Denny's Chain Diner. Denny's, also a place called Coco's, that was a chain that was around at the time, also Caro's, also Lions. Those were, were, those were the chains that I seem to remember all had locations in Santa Rosa, California in the 1990s. And they were open, if not 24 hours, very late. But I think at least the Denny's for sure had a 24-hour gimmick. So we would go in there and just order coffee and order like, you know, a sampler basket with like the mozzarella sticks and um, onion rings and, and seasoned fries. And just chain smoke cigarettes, <laughs> which thinking back now, all that fried food, all that coffee, and all those cigarettes, no wonder I have chest pains. No wonder. But um, yeah, cigarette smoking, I, I continued on that path because um, then I, I was like a hardcore punk rocker and I was in a band and, and smoking kind of fit that image. And to be quite quite frankly, I loved smoking. I loved cigarette smoking. There, there was nothing... Nothing made me feel more alive than being out in the morning, like having to wake up early for some reason. Like, um, I remember one day uh, we were, me and my wife, Ms. S, before we were married and some friends of ours were moving to the first house that we all moved into um, post uh, living with our parents. And we had to get up really early that morning and pick up a rider truck and then go around to the various parental homes and uh, collect our stuff and move it into the new house that we're all moving into together. And I remember being up super early in the morning in a gas station parking lot smoking and just feeling so alive, everything feeling so acute and just that smoke billowing out into the misty morning air. Uh, same thing when it was raining at school. 
Um, I loved being out there smoking, just getting drenched because you'd have to go outside to smoke, obviously, because that's the only way you could get away with it was being out at the bridge. But so being out in the rain at the bridge, smoking just just felt very comforting, very lively. That said, disclaimer, Mr. Sensational Gino Vega for sure does not endorse cigarette smoking at this stage of the game. Uh, but my point of bringing all this up is uh, I was thinking about Ted Rue, and I was thinking about horse throats, and I was thinking about smoking, and I think, oh, I, I know what it was. I um, This last Friday, uh, so today, actually, as I record this on Tuesday, <clears throat> February 8th, it's my wife's birthday, but um, she has to be at work late tonight for a meeting that she couldn't get out of. So we did all of her birthday stuff over the weekend. And it's funny, we're not really birthday people. Um, I, at this point, like, we've known each other for so long. And I guess our, our thing is, like, we go out and do stuff together all the time. Like, it, it just doesn't seem to be um, much of a point in finding these elevated times to, to go out and do stuff since we're already going out and do st- doing stuff all the time. But we, this weekend, we decided, what the heck, we'll use her birthday as an excuse to, to go out and do some stuff. So... Um, Went out for breakfast on Friday. She was off. She took the day off Friday because um, she wasn't going to be able to take the day off today. And Friday made more sense anyway because then we got a, a three-day weekend out of it. But anyway, she took the day off on Friday. We went out to breakfast. We went out to this great place here in Napa called La Cheve. La Cheve is opened by a young woman. She opened, I think, like right before the pandemic or maybe even like during the pandemic. But we first met her. She was working as a bartender at this place called Stone Brewing. If you're familiar with Stone, like the arrogant bastard line of beer and all that stuff, they, for a while, had a big facility here in Napa, a really large, old, historic building that they turned into a restaurant and brew pub. And Ms. S and I used to live in walking distance of it, and we used to go there. It has since closed. It closed very suddenly. Um, Stone has changed their corporate configuration, and I think it's no longer profitable for them to have these random breweries in different towns. Because it used to be like when they were trying to gain a foothold as a brand, they had a couple in their hometown of San Diego, but then it was like San Diego, Paris, uh, one in China. And then, of course, Napa, because, you know, Napa. But, <laughs> but anyway, yeah, I think they're kind of getting away from all that. And I think maybe like they sold the beer to like a big, you know, like Budweiser. I don't think it was Budweiser. But, you know, like some – there was corporate restructuring, and they're looking at the line items, and it's like, why do we have this random – brewery in Napa accent. So um, they stopped paying rent entirely to their landlord through the entire course of the pandemic. And at first they were claiming poor mouth due to the pandemic, despite receiving plenty of um, federal funds and being still being open during the pandemic. They weren't closed. They were still open. Uh, They claimed they couldn't pay rent and they didn't even just pay partial rent. They paid nothing for like over a year. And finally the landlords are like, look, yeah, that's not... (laughs) This is America, bro. Learn the rules. And they still didn't want to pay, and they were going to try to sue because they thought they didn't have to pay. And then they just unceremoniously one day fired everyone and closed the doors. Much like Willy Wonka's factory when it was like shut down at the beginning of Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, the stone just was gone. Dark. Never to be seen again. Now there's nothing in that building. Um, but anyway, the woman that opened, the young woman that opened La Cheve was working as a bartender at Stone. That's how we met her because she used to be working there when we would go in. And she was working there to get experience in route to opening her business because she wanted uh, to know, like, to have experience working in all facets of in the, in the restaurant industry. Um, so anyway, she opened this amazing place, La Cheve. It's a Mexican restaurant. Um, it uh, clientele is um, 
interesting for Napa. It's different than a lot of places. The clientele, she is like a very social person and I think grew up here and knows a ton of people. So the clientele is a lot of kind of like young, hipstery Latino people um, uh, versus more of kind of like the tourist wine country crowd, although you see some of those in there too. But anyway, we went out to breakfast at La Cheve and uh, we were sitting outdoors. And when you're sitting outdoors, you can kind of look down. It's in this really old, I think it's like the oldest building still existing in Napa, this old adobe building. Um, but you look down and you see this really busy street. I forget the name of this <coughs> street. Excuse me. That you're looking at. Is it Soskel? Maybe. You're looking at this street and you're watching people drive by. And I always kind of forget, you know, I grew up in um, Santa Rosa, California. Sonoma County is an hour away from here where I am in Napa County. And Sonoma County is definitely, I don't want to generalize too much, but it definitely, especially certain parts of it, cleave much closer to the stereotypes that, say, an engineer nerd might have of Northern California. Kind of the granola tofu set. And again, this is certainly not the rule in Sonoma County, but that does exist. Um, And then you just see a lot of, like, normal kind of generic-looking people. Napa County is, from what I see and where I go around town infinitely more uh, Trump country than Sonoma County is. And again, I didn't live in Sonoma County. I I moved um, early in the days of Mr. Trump. So I I don't know um, how Trumpy or if it became more Trumpy, but Napa is very much um, in the thrall of Mr. Trump. And so I was um, realizing that as I was watching, I was watching all these angry guys in pickup trucks drive by with like all kinds of stickers all over their trucks like endless stream um, down what may have been Soskel. Uh, but they were all smoking cigarettes. And these are all guys like in their 50s and 60s. And I was just thinking, dang, man, I can't even imagine. I mean, God bless them. And I mean, I know that the the Mr. Trump's crowd are a hale and hearty uh, bunch. <laughs> but uh, man, I you know, I um, I quit smoking... I'd say I stopped smoking on a regular basis around the time, yeah, like right before my first child was born, so 16 years ago. So like 29, 30, right around there. Um, And then over the years, I would occasionally hit a cig, as it were. Um, You know, like if I was at a party, if I was having, having a few cold ones, you know, I I would smoke a cigarette, but it was certainly never. It was at that point, it really was like what me and Matt had um, wanted to uh, hearken to all those years before the occasional one here and there, just to look cool. Um, but as every year passed, it became harder and harder to do that because, I, as I said earlier, when I was young and I smoked, there was this like lively feeling, and a lot of that. Let's 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 be honest here. It wasn't a physically lively feeling as I hacked up a lung. It was more, you know, it wrapped up into the the excitement of youth. Everything's new. Everything's fresh. Smoking at that time is new to me. And so I'm seeing it all all through that lens. But, um, you know, as every year after 30 went by and I would smoke a cigarette at a social event, I would generally be like hungover from it for like first like a couple days, then a few more days, then like a week to the point where the last time I smoked a cigarette was, um, 
it was when I went to go see the wrestler Minoru Suzuki perform in South San Francisco, which I talked about a few episodes back. So it wasn't that long ago, but I think it had been a really long time before. It had been like a couple years before that. But, uh, you know, we got a flat tire on the way home from uh, that event, and we got stuck waiting for an indeterminate amount of time um, in a parking lot for a tow truck. And so I, um, I was there with a friend of mine, and... I think maybe like, cause we're right there at this gas station and there's this, they have this little, little like window where you can order stuff. And of course they've got all kinds of cigarettes in there. I think my friend was like, maybe kind of jokingly suggested we, we buy a pack of cigarettes, but then kind of didn't revisit the idea. But then I was like, Oh yeah, I really think we should. And so we did cause we're just sitting there waiting again for an indeterminate amount of time. Smoked one of those. We each had one. He didn't want any more. Then um, I kept the pack, and w- when I was driving home, at lo- hours later, after the, the flat tire had been repaired, after uh, my friend had gone back home to Santa Rosa, when I was driving by myself back to Napa, I um, think I hit one when I was driving. Um, and man, it was just death. And I don't think I'm ever, ever going to smoke a cigarette again. again. And I don't think I ever would have, except for that was like really extenuating circumstances and it just all seemed like, what else are we going to do here? What else are we going to do? You know, I felt like I was in some Jim Jarmusch movie from the 1990s. And what do you do when you're in that scene in the Jim Jarmusch movie? You light a cigarette. Um, Point being, I cannot imagine being the age I am today, being 45 and smoking cigarettes all day, every day. I don't know how anyone who does that is even still alive. I'm like, I I, I lead a healthy lifestyle. I eat well, generally. Exercise regularly. And I still feel like I'm about to die every day. (laughs) So yeah, I just can't imagine um, adding a a pack-a-day habit on top of that. But I guess these people do it, and more power to them. It's also possible that I just have a particularly weak constitution. Um, and maybe the normal person can be, be, uh, regularly smoking cigarettes into their fifties and sixties without, uh, without missing a beat. Um, I remember this one time in particular, speaking of weak constitutions and smoking. So when I worked at the, um, United Artists Cinema 6 movie theater, a job I had, um, I guess it was like right after high school, I don't think I was still in high school when I worked there. No, it was right afterwards. Still lived at my parents' house, but I was done with high school. It was shortly before moving into that house that I mentioned previously moving into with uh, Ms. S., who I was not <clears throat> married to at the time, and some of our other friends. But um, uh, UA6, also the place where I met IC robots for the first time. But I remember one day I had some shift there. It was some like lazy Sunday afternoon shift where I was going to be one of the only, it was like only going to be like two of us working there. Some real slow time period. And, uh, I was walking to get to work. I'm not sure where I would have been walking from. Uh, cause it wasn't, uh, my parents' house, but I was walking from somewhere from deeper into downtown near the JC, the junior college towards the part of downtown that UA6 was in, and I walked past a gas station, and I needed cigarettes. 
to get through that shift. And at the time, almost everyone that worked at UA6 was a cigarette smoker because, again, it was the 1990s, and that's, uh, that's how you did it, man. You were edgy and dark, edgy, and smoking, um, sort of like uh, The Dark Knight Returns. Um, they should have had Batman smoke in that, you know, to really be, to really capture, capture the, the zeitgeist as it were. Although that was, that was late eighties. Right. But I, I feel like even though that, that comic was late eighties, it sort of prefigured the edgy, grimy 1990s, the attitude era as it were, not just in wrestling, but in life in general. But uh, I stopped to buy a pack of cigarettes because I knew I was going to need them to make it through my shift. And I thought, you know, it's time to switch it up. It's time to to deepen my cool idiosyncrasy. So um, I think I was a camel smoker at the time. But I, I thought, you know, this is getting old. This is getting tiresome. This is getting boring. You know, I need to change up my look. I need to change up my brand. I need to be much like Genichiro Tenru or Chris Jericho or Terry Funk and just kind of switch things up midstream, change my gimmick so it doesn't get boring, so I can go back through the territory loop uh, without it feeling like a repeat. Um, so I decided I was going to be a real cool guy, literally a real cool guy, and start smoking cools. So I bought a pack of cool, with a K, mentholated cigarettes, and I smoked one while I was walking to the theater for my shift. And let me tell you, by the time I was done with it, I was on death's door. I felt like there was like mentholated crystals, like all seeping out of my lungs, and I could barely breathe, and my chest hurt, and I didn't know if I was going to make it. And I remember somehow, some way powering through that shift never never to smoke a mentholated cigarette again remember folks this is not in any way glorifying or glamorizing cigarette smoking in fact i hope you take it as quite the opposite because here i was an able-bodied young person like 19 years old and i was right there just about to to lose life over one mentholated cigarette folks for those of you new to the show unsure where you are these 22, 23 minutes in to this uh, stream of consciousness talk. This is very special episode 67 of the Mr. Sensational Gino Vega podcast on the IC Robots Radio Network. I'm Mr. Sensational Gino Vega. This is my show in which I share thoughts, recollections, ruminations, takes from my completely unremarkable, ordinary average life. Um, some weeks were a little more topic focused. This week, I just decided to start speaking and see where the mind took me. Um, but even when we are more topic focused, we are in fact a show about nothing. A show about nothing. And we attempt to um, somehow find a way to elevate um, the boring dark matter that comprises my irrelevant, insignificant life, and, and, and turn it, synthesize it into content that um, you will find theoretically somewhat entertaining for about 30 minutes a week. I guess the jury is out on um, the effectiveness there. Um, we are, as I mentioned, coming to you 
with this very special episode 67 of the Mr. Sensational Gino Vega podcast by way of the IC Robots Radio Network. If somehow, some unthinkable way you're listening to this show without being familiar with the IC Robots Radio Network, the network is the brainchild of our founder, our station boss, the um, creator and producer of the flagship show on the network, the world's famous IC Robots show, IC Robots himself, an individual who operates out of Rincon Valley in Santa Rosa, California, has been bringing you his flagship content in a variety of um, guises over the years, began as the Toys R Us report, has been known as the IC Robots radio show, uh, for some time did the Stuck at Home show, um, comes with to you with uh, other ancillary content like This Boring Life, uh, Digital Handbook of the Marvel Universe, uh, Who's Who in the DC Universe, At the Movies, all kinds of amazing content, much of which you can find by way of the IC Robots Radio Network, which if you simply search I see robots radio on your preferred podcast platform. It should show up. You can like, you can subscribe. You will be privy to all content that shows up on that feed moving forward. However, if you'd like to dig even deeper into some of the content I I mentioned, such as, for instance, uh, the uh, at the movies content that uh, I see robots has been producing lately, where he talks about his life as a film fan and <clears throat> going to see movies or watching movies at home. We'll talk about that in a second, but uh, you are going to want to go over to a site called support the report.com support the report.com. It's from back in the days when, the flagship show was the Toys R Us report, hence supporting the report. Um, you can go over there. You can join IC Robots Patreon. And as a patron, you will receive content to all of his paywalled um, shows that he has been producing of late. But I wanted to bring this up because he talked about something on the most recent episode of the world's famous IC Robots show. Uh, talked about an idea that he has floating out there that he would like to bring into reality, but it would require a bit more Patreon funding than he currently has going. And this idea, I heard about it for the first time on his show, but it sounded incredibly interesting to me. And his concept is to turn the IC Robots Radio Network, into a bona fide 24-7 radio station. Now, this would not be a terrestrial radio station, but it would be a 24-7 streaming channel in which IC Robots will occasionally go live. You never know, yours truly could possibly go live. Um, I'm sure not all the content will be live 24 hours, seven days a week, but there will be a live stream of ISR content at any and every hour of the day. This sounds particularly interesting to me. I know interesting is not a good word to use. I should tell you use a better word choice. It sounded very um, fascinating to me, very scintillating to me. Um, so if you'd like to get in on this, if you'd like to help make it happen, hey, supportthereport.com is your friend, as the saying goes. So head on over there. Um, 
Yeah, I actually just, uh, I'd gotten a little bit behind on some of ISR's paid content, um, just because I got behind on all my podcast listening over the last few months with the holidays, with moving, with all other kinds of offbeat shenanigans. Um, but I've been slowly clawing my way back to being all caught up. I think I am all caught up right now, except for maybe something. I think he has a new at the movies that just came out that I haven't listened to yet. But um, I just listened to the laser disc episode. Um, and I found it interesting. Interesting. I'm on this interesting jag today. I think I'm rebelling to the days when I was a paid writer and I actually had to go out of my way to figure out alternate words to use for very pedestrian, meaningless words like interesting. But now that I don't have to do that anymore and no one's paying me to talk here, I can just say, well, that's interesting. It was very interesting. I found it interesting. Did you find it interesting? Because I certainly found it interesting. But what I found interesting was thinking back on laser discs. Um, And you can go over to support the report and hear his actual full episode about it. But it's just funny because uh, laser discs was one of those mediums that for me, where I was at that place in time in the 1980s, I was a kid. Um, and he was talking, I think, about like uh, when you knew kids that had some extra coin in the family. They they were the, the chosen few that had like a laser disc collection at home. Um, I'm trying to think back, and I really only remember one fool whose parent had laser discs. But it was was a little bit different of a demo. It wasn't like... I did know the kids with the familial coin that had all kinds of crazy stuff. Like, I remember the kid that had a Nintendo, Inter- Nintendo Entertainment System, easy for me to say, and a Sega Master System. And a Sega Master System. That's right, both of them. And countless games for both. That was a kid with coin, familial coin. And of course, the, the familial coin kids never wanted to play with their cool stuff when you were over there. They're like, let's go play outside. It's like, bro, I can play outside any day of the week. I can only play your fancy pants video game systems when I'm over at your house. But I digress. Uh, the other, th- that definitely was a demographic in my experience of uh, folks that had uh, fancy pants electronics was, you know, the familial coin kids. Um, but there was this other demo that was like, oh, it's two-pronged. There was, because um, I remember a lot of guys, uh, like uh, co-workers of my dad's, if we'd go over to their apartment for um, uh, dinner, uh, he had a couple of these co-workers where he, they were kind of newer to the profession and he was kind of helping them along. So they were younger, kind of bachelor guys living in an apartment. And they always had an amazing like wall of 80s technology because, you know, they're a single guy with like expendable income, you know. So those guys always had the, the 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 proverbial, you know, compact disc players once that became a thing. Or they had the, the VHS and the Betamax or, or they had like, you know, um, uh, Atari 5200. Um but uh, the other one, so that was one demo, like young single bros. But then um, uh, divorced bros all often had a tech collection because, you know, now they're divorced. They're living the dream out on their own, also in an apartment. I had several childhood friends with divorced dads, and we would go hang out at the divorced dads, kind of crummy apartment, 
and um, divorced dad was usually outside chain smoking most of the time and we're inside and divorced dad often has stuff such as a laser disc player and a laser disc collection and that was my only my only exposure to laser disc there's actually one friend in particular's divorced dad had this massive laser disc collection and for some reason the only disc that we watched and we watched it over and over again was Drew Barrymore's Fire Starter only time I've ever seen Firestarter. I saw it a million times, but only by way of that laser disc. So my own laser disc memories, you should go out and seek out um, IC Robots much more uh, <laughs> interesting laser disc memories and thoughts over at supporttheroport.com. And if you're not familiar with Patreon, there's a whole gimmick there and there's instructions there where you can set it up so that you can receive, if you are a, a patron, you can receive that paywall-protected content in your same podcast feed, your podcast platform, that you get this wonderful free content. Folks, that's it for this week. Uh, I did some stream of consciousness. I did some pitching for hopefully what could be an exciting future for the IC Robots Radio universe. Um, I'll do one last quick shout-out um, to uh, call back to this week's Ice Robots, world's famous show. Uh, he mentioned Little Caesars Hot and Ready Pizzas because uh, this week's world's famous saw the return of the much beloved America American Pizza Man segment in which uh, ISR talks about his life as a pizza maker and pizza consumer. Um, not that he's a pizza maker by trade, but, you know, making pizzas at home, eating pizzas. But he talked about how him and his wife uh, the other day... Uh, Kicked it next level with the Little Caesars hot, how was it called? Fresh and ready, hot and ready. You know, the pizza that's just sitting there waiting for you for $5 or whatever. I agree with him. There's something otherworldly about Little Caesars. And no, I'm not saying, you know, Little Caesars is the world's best pizza, some profound gourmet experience. No, 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 no. Little Caesars is trash, but it's, it's, it's trashy gold. I, there's something so innately satisfying about Little Caesars, so innately satisfying about Little Caesars' crazy bread as well. Crazy bread, really, one of the unrivaled substances in the world of iffy fast foods. Um, I will leave you with this final story. When I had moved into that house that I've mentioned several times on this episode, the first house I lived in outside of my parents' house that... Um, Ms. S. and I lived in before we were married with several friends of ours. Uh, we were all young. We were all like between 19 and 21. So there was a lot of partying that went on in that house. And um, one night early on in living there, I was kind of in this haze of, had consumed quite a few 40-ounce malt liquor beverages. I may have partaken in some uh, medicinal cannabis, although they didn't call it that at the time. Um... Uh, and got very hungry. And my friend Maury and I, uh, I can't remember, because Little Caesars, they don't deliver, do they? I think we got someone to, that was coming over to bring over some Little Caesars. Somehow, this mountain of Little Caesars pizza boxes ended up in the house. And Maury and I, both very faded at that point, were, were partaking in some of the Little Caesars. And it was a Little Caesars pepperoni pizza. Um, apologies to ISR because I know that's not his favorite topping, but hey, it was like 1995. Um, so we were kids. And I, isn't that his thing that pepperoni is like a topping for kids? So we were kids. Anyway, sitting there eating this Little Caesars pepperoni pizza. And I just remember Maury just having this like 
euphoric epiphany look on his face, and he just looked at me and said, Hmm, bacon and barbecue sauce. And I looked at him and I said, Yep. And then I think I passed out, and I woke up hours later, and everyone was gone, and the lights were all out. But bacon and barbecue sauce. And not, not that that's literally what, what uh, Little Caesar's pizza tastes like, but it's just a, that's just the best way to sum it up, man. Bacon and barbecue sauce. Uh, folks, thanks for being here. Until next time, it's me, it's me, it's Mr. Sensational Gino V. Sign in! <coughs> Signing off. Hey.